take your Bibles with us this morning and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17 within God's Word. Pastor Ben is taking our middle schoolers to the middle school service right now, but I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you didn't get a sermon study guide this morning and you want to follow along and take notes, please, if you would, just lift up your hand. If you didn't get a sermon study guide and the ushers will get one to you. And again, it's so good to have each and every one that is here this morning. We appreciate you. Uh, dodging the uh, raindrops and being in service and uh, God's blessings be upon you for your faithfulness praise the Lord you know we talk about the weather but kids don't mind the change in seasons in fact kids you remember when you were a kid when the white stuff comes on the ground boy there was so much fun you could have with that white stuff and my schoolyard growing up they would plow up piles of snow and on top of those piles of snow we would play a game called king on the you played it too you know what I'm talking about king of the mountain you would strive to be the only one standing on the mountain until the whole gang dragged you down and then there'd be another king on the mountain and they'd drag him there's this one kid at school. He always won King of the Mountain. Nobody could pull him down until one day I came up be behind him and grabbed him by the back of his boots and pulled real hard. He slipped, went down, and for a moment, for a temporary time, for just a, a few brief seconds, your pastor was standing up and declaring, I'm King of the Mountain. And then somebody pulled my feet out from under me. It was a girl declared herself king of the mountain. In 1 Samuel, to understand 1 Samuel chapter 17, we have king on the mountain. Who's this king on the mountain? 1 Samuel 17 verse 45, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, of the armies of heaven and of Israel, the very God whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And Israel will learn. The Lord does not depend on weapons to fulfill his plans. He works without regard to human means. He will give you to us. Who's doing the talking here? Who's doing the speaking? David. Who's he speaking to? Goliath. Goliath. We, most of us know the story of David and Goliath. It's more than a story. It's a true account of experiencing victory, the miraculous, the favor of God. The favor of God. This summer, we have been talking Sunday after Sunday on how to enjoy, how to experience God's favor in our lives. And this is a powerful revelation of God's favor. You see, what most don't realize 
is how David was able to enjoy the victory, how he was able to enjoy God's favor. You see, Goliath was not overcome by a slingshot. Goliath was overcome by a miracle in David's mouth. As we continue with our message series, Favor Living, and as we've seen uh, how to have favor living by enlarging your vision, last week we discovered the power of your thoughts, this morning the power of your words. Your words. Faith-filled words. In a message I've entitled, Believe It, Receive It, and Release It. Let's pray right now for God to open up our mind and hearts. Father, I pray that you would come, O sweet Holy Spirit. Breathe upon us right now. Lord, remove the thoughts of yesterday, the worries about tomorrow. Help us, O God, to bear down, to press in, to focus on what the Lord is saying to his church in this hour. In the name of Jesus, amen. The time was 1020 B.C. And one man, write his name down, Goliath, had paralyzed the entire army of God with fear. Name any NBA basketball player that you want to name. I mean, name the tall ones. The really tall ones. Like Yao Ming. Or... The Shaq. Or um, how about some big NFL football players? Can you name any really big ones? How about Michael Jasper? How much does Michael Jasper weigh? 374 pounds. Imagine that locomotive train hitting you. Hmm? Or name a wrestler. Hulk Hogan, for instance. And Goliath is bigger than all of them. That's right. According to the Bible, Goliath stood nine feet, nine inches tall. He came from the race of giants called the Nephilim. Under his 200 pounds of armor, his biceps burst, his thighs, the muscles rippled. He's tougher than a $2 steak. He hefts a huge spear. The Bible said had a 25-pound spearhead. This man is a walking, talking Sherman tank. Can you imagine that? Coming at you. You talk about king on the mountain. And for 40 days, twice a day, for 40 days, he blasphemes God. He defies the armies of Israel. He curses the warriors of God's army. And he shouts out, Send me a man! Send me a man! That I may fight him man to man. If you win, we will become your slaves. But if I overcome him, you will submit to us and become our servants. Forty days, twice a day, each time, 
Goliath roars his defiance, and Israel runs and hides, shaking in their tents, the Bible says. I want to ask you something this morning. Who or what is your Goliath? Is it un unemployment? Is it unpaid bills? Has it been sexual abuse in the past? Or depression in the present that you stuck struggle with? Your giant maybe doesn't strut in some ancient valley of Israel, but he stalks through your home, your office place, your school hallway. He brings you bills that you can't pay, grades that you can't make, people that you can't please, medical test reports that seem like they're spawned from the very laboratories of hell. For some, he torments with booze they can't resist, pornography that they can't refuse, a past that they can't shake, a future that they can't face. Others, he dishes out fear like he did of old, characterized by the what-ifs of life. What if? What if? Some, some stayed awake last night. They couldn't fall asleep because of the what-ifs of life. We all know well the roar of our Goliaths, don't we? Write it down with me in your notes. When confronted with Goliath, David began releasing faith. He began releasing faith. He began releasing faith in his God who cannot and will not fail. This is vital. This is integral. This is important for you to know. When faced with Goliaths, when faced with gigantic problems and circumstances, begin to release faith. Look for ways to release faith. I want you to note as you read 1 Samuel 17, David didn't complain. He didn't criticize. David didn't whine and moan and groan and say, God, why do I always have these giant problems? I want you to note that David didn't focus on the facts. He didn't focus uh, on the weight of Goliath's spear. He didn't focus on the size of Goliath's shield. He, he, he didn't focus on the tattoo, uh, skull and crossbow. I made that up. That's not in the Bible. <laughs> on his bicep. David didn't focus on the fact that Goliath was three times bigger than shepherd boy David or that Goliath was a skilled warrior and David was just an untrained shepherd. See, you always have a choice. You can focus. You can focus on the problems or you can focus on the problem solver. David chose, chose, chose with laser-like vision to focus his faith on his God who would not and cannot fail. Examine all that David says. When you go home today, study 1 Samuel chapter 17 and circle how many times God, how many times David talks about his God. How many times he confesses faith in his Lord? How many times he vocalizes and verbalizes and mouths uh, his belief in his God? Circle how many times David talks about his God and how many times he talks about his giant. 
And you'll find that David, David talks about God four times more than he talks about Goliath. What does that tell us? That David, hallelujah, focused uh, on he who is the mighty warrior, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. He didn't focus on the problem. He focused on the problem solver. Amen? There it is. And as David mouthed his confession of faith in his God that would not fail him, David changed the whole atmosphere. He changed the whole outcome of the day by what he said, by the words released from his mouth. Oh, note it with me if you would. Every day we create, every day we create environments of favor or failure, blessing or curse, life or death with our words. Our words. Our words. Look at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Pastor, I've heard this all my life in church. Then when are you going to start living it? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We quote the first part of that verse so often, we fail to recognize the second part. What does the second part of that verse say? And you will eat the fruit thereof. You will literally create the environment. You will change the atmosphere by your words. By your words. I counsel couples all the time. And I counsel married couples time and time again. And I train them to understand about the most important five minutes of every day. What are the most important five minutes of every day for a married couple? Hmm? What are the first, the most important five minutes of every day with a married couple? Hmm? The last five minutes they talk to each other in the morning and the first five minutes of what they say when they come home. You hear me in this? You will set the tone. You will create and change and shape the atmosphere. You will literally, you will literally set the, the set the course of the environment by what you say. How did God, how did God create the universe? How did God create planet Earth? He spoke all that is into existence out of nothing. The Bible says that God framed the worlds by his spoken word. Read the first page of the Bible and you'll hear over and over again, God spoke and it happened. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Over and over again, God speaks. And what he speaks comes into being. To a certain extent, we who have been created in the image of God, both saint and sinner, to a certain extent, we have been given this power. Our words, our words have power. I am consistently amazed at the power 
of the spoken word. Think of how a teacher at school can change a student's life by instilling information and education through the spoken word. A coach, a coach at halftime in the locker room can take a losing team and turn them into a winning team through his inspiring words. A general can take a broken and a battered army that's been losing and turn them into victors instead of victims with his inspiring oratory. We see example of example of this throughout history. A counselor, any secular therapist, counselor, psychologist can sit down and speak healing words into a person's being and cause the hurt to be made whole. Words are much like a knife. Words can be a healing scalpel when mommy puts you on her lap and soothes your owie. Words can be like a scalpel and bring healing. Or words can be like a dagger and bring great harm, great hurt, injury that's far worse than any death by sword. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never harm me is simply not true. Words can be some of the most harmful things in our experience. I was in the fifth grade. And I was on the basketball team of the elementary school. They started their first basketball team, and I was on it. My dad was a pastor who built all the churches that he ever pastored. He built them by hand. Never had them contracted out. He did it himself. The great generation. Dad never had time to teach me how to play any sports. So I came out to the basketball team, and I'd never had a man yell at me like that coach yelled at me. I didn't know anything about dribbling or let alone putting that basketball in that hoop. I was lousy. I mean, I was really bad. And then to have a coach yell at me and scream at me, I mean, it hurt my itty-bitty feelings. <laughs> and I'll never forget at supper one night at home, we were all around the table eating supper. I crumpled up my napkin. I threw it to the garbage can, and I missed. And my dad said, that's just how he plays basketball. And my brother and my sister laughed and laughed and laughed. I was so hurt, I was so sad, and then I was so mad, and I put my face in my hands and I said, I hate your guts. After getting a bloody nose that night, and I'm not making that up, and my dad hates for me to ever bring up that story, because he recognizes how wrong he was in saying that. And I was, I was so disrespectful and rebellious in what I said. But words are so hurting. I have a hard time crumpling anything up and put through. 
because that memory wants to come back and that that hurt wants to come back yeah words words our words have power Israel was at the very edge Israel was at the very threshold of the promised land and they sent out 12 spies to spy out the promised land before they would occupy and enter Israel and 10 of the 12 spies came back and said we can't do it because we saw giants in the land and we were like grasshoppers compared to them and all night Israel began crying and weeping God wants to kill us God brought us here to kill us we want to go back to Egypt all night they spoke negative confession and what did God say? This is vital. This is critical. I want you to get a hold of this scripture verse. Many have never seen this before. Listen to what the Lord said in Numbers 14. Then the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, How long will this wicked nation complain about me? For I have heard all that they have been saying. Does God hear what we say? Does God understand the minutia? Uh, the details of our words yes he doesn't miss a thing now look at verse 28 get a hold of this tell them the Lord vows to do to you what you feared you will all die here in this wilderness basically God said what you say is what you get what you say is what you get you created a, a, an environment, you created an atmosphere of doubt, depression, defeat, and death. Okay, you want that, you'll get that. I believe that when a person says, I wish I were dead, they invite a spirit of death to invade their life. On the other hand, your words have power in both the natural and the spiritual power to speak healing into hurting situations power to bring life to bring health and blessing into your home power to set the course of the destiny of your life the destiny of your children the destiny of those that you influence power to experience God's favor and the miraculous by releasing faith-filled words in the name of Jesus. Pastor, I want that. I want to release words of victory. I want to release words of life. I want to release words of favor and, and blessing out of my mouth. How do I do it? Mark it down if you would in your notes this morning. Mark it down. Experiencing favor through faith-filled words should first begin in the home. The home. The home is the fertile ground. The, 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 the home is the preparatory experience. The home should be the atmosphere, the launching pad for you to launch out, to speak life and victory and favor in your world. Yes. David's victory over Goliath began in his home. Read the story of David. Faith-filled words, words of favor were spoken upon David's life. And he moved out under the anointing of God after that point. 
A woman, a woman went to her doctor and she said, Doctor, doctor, my husband has a vile temper. My, my, my husband has a short fuse. Uh, doctor, I'm telling you, my, my, my husband, he's a, he's a mean man. The doctor said, I've got a cure for that. She said, you do? What is it? He says, every time you start seeing your husband getting angry, take a drink of water, a gulp of water in your mouth and begin swishing it in your mouth. The entire time, your husband starts to get angry. And so she did it. Two weeks later, she came back to the doctor and she said, Doc, it, it works like magic. This is unbelievable. you got to market this. But she, she said, I don't understand. How, how is it that just plain old water works? Just, just swishing water in my mouth and keeping my mouth uh, full of water. How does it work? Uh, he said, it, the, the water's not the trick. It's keeping your mouth shut, that is. Do you need a miracle in your home? There's a miracle in your mouth for your marriage and for your family. It's not water. And it's not keeping your mouth shut. It is learning how to speak loving words, faith-filled words into the very lives and the spirits of the loved ones in your home. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, love never fails. When I counsel couples and they begin to un unwrap to me the terrible animosity, the spirit of anger and hate that has warped their home environment, I begin talking to them about the power of love. God has given us love, not as some wimpy, affectionate feeling emotion love has power become keenly aware of when love becomes anointed by the Spirit of God and you speak love mixed with faith in your home for the healing of your marriage the healing of, of your family most marital and family problems that I deal with revolve around hurting words. Determined to stop that vicious cycle. Wives who learn to speak love to their husbands learn to admire their husbands, become their greatest cheerleader, thanking them for their hard work, thanking them for their, their provision, thanking them for who they are, respecting their leadership. Husbands who really love their wives learn to speak words of affection and adoration unto their wives. Parents that learn to be real parents of love with their children, yes, they correct their kids' behavior, but they speak words of love directed to their children's lives, letting them know that no matter what happens, they will always love them. They can always be assured of that parent's love. Imagine a farmer standing in his farm field, and you say, hey, farmer, what do you what do you want to harvest this year? What do, what do you want to, what do you want to grow on, on your field? He said, I want to grow corn, sweet corn, Michigan sweet corn. I can already taste it. The thick butter on it. Mm -hmm. I could have a spiritual experience right now just thinking about Michigan sweet corn. 
And yet the farmer is planting pumpkin seeds. We say, hey, if you want a corn harvest, you have to plant what kind of seed? Not pumpkin seed. We laugh at that ludicrous, ridiculous illustration. But how many of us in our homes, we want, we want, we want positive outcomes, but we're planting negative seeds by what we say. I learned early on as a husband, going back some 30-some years, I learned this early on as a young husband. When you come home at the end of the day and the house does not meet your expectations as far as its organization, arrangement, decor, aesthetics, and it does not meet your expectations, do not, do not, do not say, so what have you been doing all day? I learned early on as a young husband that after eating a meal prepared by my lovely, lovely wife, uh, the love of my life, I learned early on after eating one of her uh, uh, homemade suppers, her dinners, uh, I learned early on at the uh, end of the, the meal, do not, do not, do not say, hey, Becky, have you ever thought about taking a cooking class? I learned early on when she comes home from the beauty parlor. Don't say, ouch, what happened to you? <laughs> if you want, if you want, if you want positive outcome, plant, plant good seed, plant loving seed, plant faith-filled seed, and then leave it to God to speak to their heart. They don't need you to play God. And for us obsessive compulsives out there, us critical people that always worry about the details and it never ever measures up, shut up. <laughs> shut up. Unless you learn to speak blessing, unless you learn to speak in loving ways, unless you learn to release faith-filled verbalization in your home, then you better just shut up and swish the water. Why are you using negative words to get a positive action? Choose to baptize your home with loving words. Bless your children constantly. Let them know you're proud of them. Not just of what they've done, but who they are. Let them know you love them desperately. Come into their bedroom late at night when they're young. Lay your hands upon them and begin to speak in prayer, in blessing, in the name of Jesus. Speak God's favor upon their lives. You're planting seed. You're planting seed. You're planting seed because you are expecting a miraculous harvest with your family, with your marriage, for the glory of God. Yes. An old Christian lady lived next door to an atheist. And every morning she would come out on her front porch and she would shout for the whole neighborhood to hear, Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Oh, praise the Lord! And he'd shout back next door on his front porch, There is no God! There is no God! I tell you, there is no God! This went on morning after morning, 
day after day. These two neighbors, the Christian and the atheist, eventually the old lady ran into financial problems and she was in desperate straits. She needed some groceries. She was having trouble buying food. And yet she came out each and every morning, praise the Lord! Father, I know you're Jehovah Jireh. You're my provider and you will supply my every need. Oh, the atheist, he thought, I've got something here. He, he, he thought, I'm going to trick her. And he went out and bought a bunch of groceries, bags of groceries, and put it on her front doorstep. And uh, when she got up the next morning and opened up her front door and, and went out uh, on the, the porch and she saw all the groceries and all the food, she said, praise the Lord, hallelujah, God, you are so good. The atheist, the atheist jumped out from the bushes and said, ha, I tricked you. I'm the one that got those groceries. She looked at him, and then she looked up at heaven. She said, praise the Lord. I thank you, God, that you not only gave me the groceries, you made the old devil pay for them. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mark it down, just as David recognized his engagement with Goliath as spiritual. We are to use the spiritual weapons of prayer and praise in our engagements with the unseen foe. I find it fascinating, interesting, that the spiritual weapons, the primary spiritual weapons that God has given to us to deal with the unseen world, the forces of hell, are weapons that proceed from our mouths. Get a hold of that within God's Word. One of the great examples of this is Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas, the Bible says, were in a Philippian jail. At the midnight hour, they had cast a demon out of a girl and Satan. Satan was not only sad, Satan was mad. And Satan had made sure that Paul and Silas had been beaten with wooden rods. Their backs were bruised, battered, and bleeding. Their feet are locked up in stocks. They're in the innermost dungeon of this Philippian jail in modern-day Greece. At the midnight hour, the Bible says that they're not whining, moaning, or groaning. They're not complaining. Silas isn't looking over at Paul and saying, this is another fine mess you got us in, Paul. They haven't thrown in the towel. What are they doing at their midnight hour? What are they doing at the devil's hour? When the, the hour, the time seems the bleakest and the blackest. Acts chapter 16 verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas did what? They prayed and they sang what? Praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. That tells me let the world hear your praises. Let the world hear your prayers. There it is. Prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. When you meet the Goliaths of your life, when, you, when you're confronted with the storms of life, when you're confronted with the vicissitudes, the problems, the trials, the troubles of life, praise the Lord. 
Praise the Lord. Get your mind off the problem. Onto the problem solver. Speak to your mountain with praise and with thanksgiving. Begin to lift up uh, the good things of God. Begin to lift up uh, who your God is. What he has done and what he will do. Begin to shout, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I ascribe unto you majesty and honor and glory and power, blessing and victory. Lord, you've been faithful to me in the past, and I'm excited because somehow, some way, you're going to show up. You're going to rise up. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why are we called to praise the Lord in front of the problem? We're called to praise the Lord when we're confronted by a problem, when we're confronted by a Goliath, because praise creates a pathway for faith to be activated. Praise causes me to focus upon my God instead of my Goliath. Do you see it? Does God need buttering up with my praise? No. But my faith needs building up as I begin to praise and, and thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Thanksgiving, praise, worship it, it focuses uh, our faith upon our Lord who will not fail us but it time and time and time and time again grants us the victory our God who will not and cannot fail he sits upon the throne and everything's going to be alright hallelujah but God has also called us to pray God has given you prayer as a gift. Prayer is instantaneous communication with the almighty king of the universe. If there's anything that bugs me is when I take out the cell phone. I take it out, turn it on, go to make a call, and it says, network is down. Out of coverage area. Does that ever happen with God? There is no limitations on our prayers with God. Prayer has power. The place of prayer is power. The time of prayer is a time of power. The people of prayer are a people of power. Jesus said, whatsoever you ask in prayer, in my name, I will do it. God sits upon his throne in heaven. And God is just itching for his people to pray. He loves it when we are confronted by our Goliaths, our mountains, our giants, our Philippian dungeons. And it seems hopeless. But in the midst of those circumstances, when we call out in prayer unto Him, when we express dependency upon Him, God says, look, <laughs> there's my son, there's my daughter. They're facing their giants, and yet they're praying. They're confessing their faith in me. They are uttering prayers of, of faith and praise and worship unto me. They're trusting me to bring peace in the storm. Let it happen. Angels, go down right now. Take care of that Goliath. Move that mountain. Bring that prison wall down. Hallelujah. God, send them a victory. Send them a miracle. Do it now. That's God's word to someone here this morning. God, God is itching to get into the fight. God wants to be a part of your battle. But you have to ask. The Lord Jesus said, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you.
but, but, but pastor, I don't know how to really pray effectively. I, I don't really know what to say in, in praise and worship. Well, that's why, that's why, that's why the Lord gave you this, the third, the third person of the Trinity. That's why we read in Acts chapter 2 verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, what language do you begin to speak? You speak Italian? German? French? When you speak in your prayer language, in your praise language, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, something supraconscious happens. God bypasses your brain. Right now, every word I'm speaking to you, a millisecond before it comes out of here, it's being formed up here. It's a marvel. It really is. But when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're doing the speaking but the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, He's giving God's words. The very words that created the universe. The very words that Jesus gave and people were healed. The very words that Jesus gave and the demons cried out in terror. God wants to give you a word. The Roman centurion who asked Jesus to heal his sick servant. The Roman centurion came to Jesus and the Roman centurion said, you don't have to come to my house. Just speak the word. Speak the word. It's one of the few times the Bible ever says that Jesus was shocked. You'll rarely ever read in the Bible where Jesus was astonished. And Jesus said, I have not seen such great faith among all the Jews. This Roman centurion has asked me to speak the word. God wants to give you a word. It's an anointed word. It's an appointed word. It's a word of the Spirit. There have been those times that your pastor has been so hard-pressed by spiritual Goliaths in this church and down through years of ministry. And some have said, uh, your office door was closed, but I heard you yelling, I heard you shouting, and I was shouting at the darkness. I was shouting at, all, at, at my Goliath. I was shouting at the devil in the Spirit's language, in God language. And there comes a holy authority that comes over you. There comes a holy boldness that bubbles up within you. And you begin to speak in the Spirit. Uh, and it's not your boldness, it's His boldness. It's a God confidence that somehow, some way, the Lord is going to arise. He's going to move the mountain. He's going to bring down Jericho's stronghold. Uh, he's going to bring peace in the storm. He's going to bring down your Goliath. The Spirit of God wants to speak through you in powerful praise, powerful prayer. Let the Lord arise and His enemies be scattered as you speak God language, words of life, victory, and favor. When Paul and Silas began to pray and sing praises unto the Lord at the midnight hour, what did God do? God sent angels down. And we had our first jailhouse rock. 
I mean, it was rock, rattle, and roll. Hallelujah. And the prison doors flung open. Their chains fell off. They were set free and ministered the gospel. And the jailer was one to the Lord. As he said, what must I do to be saved? Mark it down. When Goliath cursed David and blasphemed God, David ran to Goliath's roar, releasing God's word. Releasing God's word. In your troubles and your trials, remember, we're in a spiritual battle. Some of you, if you were to sit down with me right now, you'd say, Pastor Phil, Pastor Phil, you don't realize the spouse that I have to live with. Pastor Phil, you don't realize the mean boss I have to work for. Pastor Phil, you cannot imagine how X-rated the culture is at my school. It's triple X-rated, Pastor Phil. You don't realize the shoulders that I rub up against. You need to realize what Paul the Apostle said. Paul the Apostle said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood. What are we fighting with? Persons without bodies. The evil rulers of the unseen world. Those mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who rule this world and against huge numbers of wicked spirits in the spirit world. Analyze, study, examine. 1 Samuel chapter 17, the story of David and Goliath. And you'll find that behind the scenes there was mighty spiritual warfare that was going on. David hits it on the head. David says to Goliath, you have defied the armies of the living God. There was more at stake here than a little shepherd boy and a giant. The spiritual destiny of Israel was at stake. And David was right in the middle of it. The spiritual destiny of your marriage, your family, your situation is at stake. Your words will shape the eternal destiny of those that you are living with, working with associating with for God's great glory or for the enemy's glory our real problem is not with people or circumstances but the forces of hell we're not called to retreat or defeat we're called to run to the roar of demonic Goliaths releasing God's word before David ever used his slingshot he confessed the word of the Lord. He released faith-filled words. He struck Goliath with the word of the Lord. I come to you in the name of the Lord. I come to you in the name of the Lord. I come to you in the name of the Lord. And that's what you need to do with your situations, with your problem circumstances. You need to release the miracle in your mouth. Not your word, but God's word. I've heard some Christians pray, Oh, slew foot, oh devil, I grab you by your horns and I pull your stinking tail. I take authority. Your, your authority means squat. Your word means squat. Now, are we called to rebuke the devil? Yes. David did it and Jesus did it. And when you know and it's better felt than tell. When you know that you're dealing with unseen forces, 
when you're dealing with satanic attack, when you know it in your spirit that you're dealing with something that's not flesh and blood but comes from hell, in the name of Jesus, confess his word. Make his word your word. God's word is anointed. God's word is appointed. God's word brings miracles, victory, favor. His word is a weapon. Ephesians 6.17, Paul said, The sword of the Holy Spirit, which is what? The word of God. In the Greek, this is the rhema word. A rhema word is not a printed word. A rhema word is not a, it's not a written word. A rhema word, right here in this verse, Paul is talking about a spoken word. This is taking God's word and making it your word and then releasing the miracle in your mouth. This is what Jesus did in the wilderness temptation. When Jesus was confronted by the devil after 40 days of fasting, how would you feel after 40 days of dieting? Fasting. No food. How would you feel? And Satan comes up and tempts Jesus, turn these stones into bread. What did Jesus say? It is written, Thou shalt not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Satan tempted Jesus to prove that he was the Son of God and be consumed with pride and jump off the top of the temple. Jesus said, It is written, Thou shalt not test the Lord thy God. Satan then tempted Jesus to bow down and worship Satan. And if Jesus would do that, Satan would give him the kingdoms of the world. Jesus said, It is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou worship. It is written, it is written, it is written. Here's my point. If the Holy Son of God did not rely upon his divine credentials, if the Holy Son of God spoke the word of God, depended upon speaking God's holy scripture, God's power word, how much more so do you and I? How much more so do you and I? What Goliaths are you facing this morning? Are you facing financial Goliaths? Bills that are unpaid? You need to start speaking faith-filled words. You, not, you need to start speaking and declaring and confessing. My God has made me the head and not the tail. My God has given me the power to get wealth. For the Bible declares and His promise is sure and complete. For my God shall supply all of my need according to His riches in Christ Jesus. For the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Some of us are dealing with some bad reports from the doctors. And this is where we need to stand upon the promises of God and confess them and release them from our mouth. We need to stand upon God's promise and say to that sickness, in the name of Jesus, by His stripes, I am healed. The prayer of faith shall heal the sick. He forgives all of my iniquities and He heals all of my diseases. He is Jehovah Rophe. I am the Lord that healeth thee. For those of you dealing with the giant of loneliness, you need to declare, uh, He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. Lo, He is with me always, even unto the ends of the earth. And for those of us that are dealing with Satan himself,
You need to take your stand and look old Slewfoot in the eye and say, in the name of Jesus, if God be for us, who can be against him? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Greater is he that's within me than he that's within this world. Glory to God. Speak the word. Release the word. Confess the word. There's a miracle in your mouth. You choose to create the environment. And then you'll have to live in it. So David faced mano on mano. This nine foot nine inch tall giant called Goliath wearing 200 pounds of armor lumbering across that valley towards him like some old World War II Sherman tank. And while Goliath is roaring his curses, while Goliath is roaring his blasphemy before God, what does David do? What does David do to the roaring? I love this. David doesn't hide behind bushes, you know, and zigzag. David doesn't hide behind boulders. Uh, David isn't out collecting rocks. The Bible says that while Goliath is roaring, David is running to the roar. And David says, you come to me with sword, spear, and shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord that all of Israel will know that the battle is the Lord's. Uh, that day, David struck Goliath with what? No, he struck him with the word of the Lord before he ever released the slingshot. Goliath had already been defeated with the word of the Lord long before he was ever struck with a stone. Then David released his slingshot as he had released faith-filled words the head of Goliath and God won an awesome victory that day through some old adult through one of those boys that you saw up here a shepherd boy who chose to release the word of the Lord he chose to believe it receive it and release it Father, the name of Jesus, I ask even right now. Come, 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 sweet Holy Spirit. Come and breathe upon this room. Breathe upon this place. Come, sweet Holy Spirit. Knock upon the heart's door of these that are sitting here this morning. Lord, we know that you can turn lives around marriages around families around for your honor and for your glory for you are here his heads are bowed and eyes are closed I understand that this word this sermon has been preached mainly for Christians but if this morning you recognize his heads are bowed and eyes are closed no one is looking around if you're aware if you're keenly aware that you're not right with God you're not where you should be and you want to be right with God this is your time Jesus loves you desperately 
He's calling you home. Heaven is real. Hell is real. And eternity is just a breath away. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. I'm prepared to pray a prayer that will make you right with God and give you a home in heaven. If you'd like to be included in the prayer, I'm prepared to pray. Just lift up your hand right now. Just lift it up right now. I don't want to leave anyone out. Just lift it up right now. Precious Jesus, thank you. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. How many more? Precious Jesus, we just take a few seconds. God bless you. I see that hand. Yes. God bless you, young sir. I see that. Yes. 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 Precious Jesus. Let's pray right now. Let's pray. And I'm going to ask right now for everyone to repeat this prayer after me, especially you that have lifted up your hands. Make this prayer your prayer. Are you ready? Dear Jesus, I come to you right now. And I confess, I have sinned. I'm a sinner. But Jesus, you're my Savior. Save me from my sin. I believe you died for me. You paid the price for my sins at Calvary, at the cross. And I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. For changing me. For bringing life through my words of faith. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen.